0: Father, this morning we just come to you. In your presence, there is liberty. In your presence, there is healing. In your presence, there is deliverance for captives. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. I pray you teach us to be still and know and experience your presence. When as we prepare our ears and our hearts and our minds for the ministry of the word, speak to us this morning, Father. Speak to us. Let there be more light in us, for you are light. Let there be more love in us, for you are Love. Let there be more truth in us. For you are truth. Let the ministry of your word be not be just words. Let it be life. Touch us. Touch us, O oh God, touch. Your word has never changed. Your word can never change. Help us to believe this morning, Father. Let someone be set free this morning, Father, in your house. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are on day 28 of our fasting. Another 12 days to go. or Maybe 13 days. whenever we decide to close it. As we go through the season of fasting, also understand the purpose and also remember the promise. The promise we got for this year as a church and for our churches is that he would use all those who are prepared and empty themselves. He would fill them and use them much more than previous years. He had said, rivers of living water shall flow. Believe, whether you are a young kid in college or school, or whether you are in ministry, believe, Lord. Let this year be that year where I experience your overflow. For overflow, you need inflow. Overflow. I want to be used the way I've never been used, Lord, in my life. I just surrender my time, myself into the hands. I know it's true for me. I have traveled more this year after that promise than any year. I've traveled. Every month I have traveled. And you need to realize every door, Has been opened by God. Without me even knocking. Every door. Including that was open. We we, we despise the God of small things. And little things. Let me tell you. Six years ago. My wife goes to a beauty parlor. And being a habit. She always prays. Wherever she goes. Doesn't matter whose office it is. Whose institution. She prays. And they will soon. Everybody asks for prayer. And among those who prayed. There was one believing child. One believing there. And that is a child who began and ended up in this entire ministry. That's how it began. She went and then she heard I speak Nepali. And then she heard, she went and told her pastor, there is a pastor who speaks Nepali and preaches in Nepali. And they called me for the anniversary. They said, can you start a Bible study? And there was a pastor and his wife from Darjuling. And Pastor Dano's wife, who is from Kathmandu. They heard the word and said, you know what? we need to take it back to our churches. We never heard this before. This was entirely planned by them. They said, are you willing? I said, I'm willing. I will come. We never despise little things and little people because we never understand the ways of God. We never understand the ways of God. Now it's gone. They said, now we're going to plan it out bigger to have three, three, three day meetings in each places where we get all the pastors together. So the thing is that, The only thing we can do is prepare ourselves and make ourselves available. It is God's prerogative how he uses us and where he uses us. And put no restrictions, God, I will go only. It has to be this kind of a place and this kind of a road and this kind of a transport and this kind of accommodation. You might end up in jail. (laughs) That's the only place that I can give you that kind of accommodation. Not ordinary Indian jail, a US federal prison. Where they give you AC and TV. So keeping that in mind, all that we've been hearing in mind, we surrender to God, we make ourselves available. But never forget, what is the gospel that we are preaching? It's the gospel of liberty. And only when we are free ourselves, we can go forth and preach the gospel that brings liberty. Because Jesus said, the blind cannot lead the blind. So we know we've been hearing this. Pastor Vijay too has been teaching on this. Sunday, Wednesdays. And we look back on Galatians 5.1. God tells his people. Stand fast. Steadfast. Stand fast. Therefore in the liberty. In which Christ has made us free. Stand there. Because there are so many enemies of liberty. True freedom in Christ. The entire world system. Is fashioned. In a way that those who have experienced the liberty of Christ would go back to bondage. And your flesh within, your mind, everybody's flesh within, is 100% willing to cooperate with the enemy and this world system. So true liberty, spiritual liberty. How do you and I continue in this liberty? Everywhere that is the problem. Healing is very easy. Deliverance is very easy. Liberty is very easy. What is difficult is walking in your healing. What is difficult is walking in your deliverance. What is difficult is walking in your liberty. And that is what we need to learn and practice, Lord. I want to walk, walk. That's what Paul was talking about at the end of his life. I fought that good fight of fate. That I fought, I contended with every enemy. Every enemy that tried to steal that liberty which Christ Jesus had come. And all his epistles are written that way, pointing to each church. That's an enemy. This is an enemy. This is an enemy. Stand fast in the liberty which Christ Jesus has brought through his redemptive power. In Galatians 5.13, he will also say for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. That's why he says all things are permissible. But all things are not beneficial. The enemy will trap you. Don't confuse between freedom and liberty. We have been called to liberty. See how we maintain it. So learn from the history of Israel. That has been given to us a pattern. A generation perished in the desert. Another generation possessed the promised land. And then subsequent generations still today have lost the freedom that their forefathers had fought for. You have to not only win your freedom, you have to keep your freedom. Christ came and died that we would be free from the power of sin and the devil. Not just forgiveness, power of sin and the devil. But God says, "Beware, beware!" He warns us through this apostle over and over again, and the other apostolic writers. In Second Corinthians eleven three says, "I fear lest somehow has the serpent deceived by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ." He said, "Beware! The enemy is forever out to deceive us, so that he can steal us, steal from us the liberty." So that he makes us slaves again. A believer must identify what are. It may not be generally it is the same. But individually it could be different. A believer must identify what are the enemies of my soul. Of my freedom. Of my liberty in Christ. What are the enemies. There was an instance when a man asked Jesus. What must I do to inherit Eternal life. Look at Jesus' answer. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? His, see, his question, look at the question and look at the answer. Don't separate the answer from the question and make the answer into a theology. Look at the question. What is he asking for? He's asking for eternal life. And Jesus' replies, what is written in the law? What's your reading of it? How do you read the word? Give me your answer. Give me your answer. You so able to the answer today. What, how do you read it? What's your answer? This is, what is your reading of it? So I answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So it is a fantastic reading. When I, mean, I admire this lawyer, he understood the Bible. What all the Pharisees missed out, this guy knew. He got the Bible in one shot. This is what the Bible is about. And he said to him, you have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. He's got your answer perfect. He says, Your answer is perfect. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, What is the enemy wants? So you need to identify the biggest enemy of your liberty. He will try to steal your love for God and your love for your neighbor. Love for your labor. That's what he will come after because he knows this brings liberty. This brings liberty. So Galatians 5-6 will actually say in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. All these outward things don't matter. The only thing that matters is faith working through love. It's the only thing that matters. So the devil will always try." Hit at your faith. Work on your love to divide your heart. You'll always. So remember, the devil knows. He knows exactly what brings liberty. And he will aim his arrows at those things. So we heard actually Abel when he was leading worship saying, Even the church in Ephesus, the church started, planted, mentored by Apostle Paul himself. Three days, he says, three years, day and night. With tears, he said, I taught you, gave you the full gospel. Even that church was destroyed through that door. And Jesus says about that church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You're fantastic. You're a fantastic church. Nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. Your first love is gone. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Fallen. Height from which you have fallen. I personally believe most churches in the 21st century have come to a standstill. It's a lot of activity like in the church in Ephesus. But in the spiritual realm, they have been moved and are not moving at all. There's a lot of noise in the churches. It's like Shakespeare said, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Because the church has been drained of its first love for Christ. Once that goes, then Jesus steps back until it is returned. That's why we are, we are so much dependent upon so many of gadgets and so many things to preach the gospel. The apostles had nothing. They had no gadgets, they had no overhead projectors, they had nothing, they didn't even have money. What they had was a heart full of the word of God and their bones filled with fire and the Holy Spirit filling them and they were willing to go to the ends of the earth and they changed the world. Today we don't have any of these three. So what do we do? We start putting our props in the flesh. And the gospel is going nowhere. It's really not going nowhere. And in the underground church, on the other hand, it is growing, it is moving, but they also face the same problem. Their problem is lack of knowledge. And the love is consistently tested. One of the big leaders of the, one of the largest underground churches in China. When he was asked, what are the number one and two problems in your church, in China, underground church. He says, number two problem is money. Love for money. And you wouldn't believe in a persecuted church. Money would be a problem. He says, we face the same temptations you face here too. And he asked, what is number one? He said, gossip. Everywhere the flesh is the same. If you don't deal with the flesh, it doesn't matter if you are overground or underground. You won't move. So understand. That's what Jesus said, beware. When Jesus talked about the last days, he pinpointed at these two issues. He said, beware of deception. Why? Because of lack of knowledge. We don't have knowledge, we don't have discernment, we get deceived. Or number two, or the main thing he said in Mark 24, 12 and 13, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And only who is who endures are the ones who love remains the same till the end. You want to endure till the end? Watch out for your love for God and your love for man, your neighbor. So we have to know today. How does the enemy work to see that we don't stand in the liberty which God has given us? That freedom, the joy, the joy that overflows in our personal life because we know Jesus and we love him more than we love anybody. In 1 John chapter 2 has primary text for today, very well known verses, but we will look at it in the context of today's study. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the father is not in him. It's not in him. But all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life is not of the father. But is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God. Abides for ever the wonderful gentle apostle gives us a very clear command we need to go over this over and over and over again the question we need to immediately he says love not the world or the things in the world the question is can anyone love two things equally at the same time now i'm not asking whether you can love meat and fish now immediately your example yeah i can meaning i can i love apple i love orange we're not talking about Meaning, let me ask you this, can you love your wife and your girlfriend? No, you can't. Can you love your husband and your boyfriend at office? No, you can't. You cannot. God is asking very serious questions and he says, can you? And suddenly we realize, no, you can't. Because these are opposing forces aiming at the same heart. You cannot escape it. It's our ever-present reality till you and I die. My flesh, your flesh, and the world you and I live in are after your heart and my heart. And God wants your heart and my heart. So you heard the message on the cross as central to our liberty. Central, the cross. In Galatians 2.20 scripture says yes Akshar I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me and the life which I live live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me so here it says the answer to the temptations of the flesh is the cross there is no other answer in Galatians 6.14 outside is the flesh all around I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer, no, 614. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, what? Now it's not the flesh. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's why Jesus said, pick up that instrument every day and follow me. On that instrument, your flesh dies and the world dies. The cross works both ways inwardly it works if I apply it by discernment and by the spirit, it kills my flesh. Outwardly it destroys the temptations of the world, it has no power over us. As the man of God said, Christians are not ruined by living in the world. Christians are ruined by the world living in them. They are not ruined by living in the world. God has sent us to live in this world. But we are not ruined by living in this world. We are ruined by the world living in us. It's a fatal attraction. It's a very fatal attraction. And most are not even aware of it. Because even good Christians get blinded like the Ephesian church. By their good works. Their good doctrine. And their good gifts. The Ephesus church had all of this. They had good works. They had good doctrine. They had good gifts. Without realizing, slowly their hearts were getting divided. Where God was not number one anymore. Everybody knows that if you have a love affair outside your marriage, if you don't stop it, it will destroy your marriage. Failure to destroy this fatal attraction to this world and to the things of this world, Jesus said, will ultimately come like a trap. We don't realize it until we start craving. That's why fasting is. The purpose of the fasting is primarily that. He says, if you love the world and you love the things of the world and you don't deal with it on a daily basis, but ignore it and continue with worship and religion, he says, one day the day will catch you like a trap. What is that trap? Revelation 13, 16 and 17, the culmination of it. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has. He says, you want anything. You need my mark. Anything. You love things, right? They're in bondage to things, right? You love this world, right? you love all the things in this world. He says, fine, the culmination is this. Now you want anything. It's like an addict. The addict will kill his own father and mother for his shot after some time. It doesn't bother him. He knows he cannot survive with his shot. That's what's happening. You look in this year, 2017, the number of deaths in US because of overdose alone. The number, probably the greatest in years. The number of people are dying. The saddest news yesterday, a supervisor in charge of a drug drug rehabilitation center died of an overdose himself. It's like that, the world. And we see that, but we don't see this as equally fatal in the spiritual realm, because we are very physical, visible creatures. So when John uses the term world, he used the term cosmos, this world system. In his episodes, he uses it hundred and five times, so that you can know that even the early church struggled, the persecuted apostolic church struggled with this love for the world. Cosmos basically means the ordered, arranged, adorned system of this world, which is absolutely not. Acceptable to God or incompatible with the kingdom of God, the nature and will of God. And for a side effect, it is from the word cosmos, we get today's word cosmetics. So you know who's behind it. God made beautiful faces, and devil made cosmetics. God made stones, man made bricks. There, that's how Babel was built. God made stones, Babel was built with bricks. Earth once reflected the glory of God, but sin marred it. Sin has really marred it. And scripture talks about in Romans 8, 19 to 22, this world, cosmos in which we live in. The earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The whole of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God. Who are those who have overcome this cosmos? This worldly system. They are waiting for them because only they can rule the earth. Others can't rule. They will be inhabitants but they cannot rule. They are waiting for the sons of God who have overcome. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Next. Next. Because creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We are supposed to have glorious liberty while the world is decaying in corruption. This is the second law of thermodynamics. Once corruption sets in, there is nothing you can do. It's just a matter of time. The whole thing will start stinking and worms come in. Do we see the world that way? We are always boasting about the glories of man. Yesterday, oh, we have the longest land bridge in India. God says, smelling in my nostril. Oh, the next big higher tallest building. He says, it smells. The whole cosmos is decaying. It's decaying. Until God opens our eyes and shows us the world as it really is, it will not change our affections for the world. The world is decaying. That's why spiritually our eyes need to be opened because all our aspirations are in this world. But accept the fact we are living in a world that is decaying, putrefying, literally. This is a spiritual truth. May God open our spiritual eyes to see what the world is really like. That is why there is no redemption either for this world Or for this body. There is no redemption. They are made for each other. So God will destroy this body. And God will destroy this world. He will. Both with fire. He says, body, stomach, uh, meat for the belly. Belly for the stomach. Both will be destroyed. So if the government brings no new meat loss, don't be bothered. Both will be destroyed. So understand there are two spirits operating in the world we live in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, Scripture says, Now we, we, God's children, have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. There are two spirits. The spirit of this world and the spirit of God. The problem is the spirit of this world blinds us to the things of God. And the Spirit of God, more we receive, opens our eyes to the reality of the decay of the things of this world. They both work together. If you receive the Spirit of the world, our eyes gets blinded to the things of God. If you keep asking for the Spirit of God to open our eyes, that's what Paul prays. May, may God give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. He starts showing us the beauty of God's kingdom and the horror of this world system. Our eyes have to be opened. So what is there in this world that God dislikes? What is he warning us about, about this world? Because we need to get into, like into details now. Let us do an analysis from 1 John 2.16. God divides it into three categories, three basic drives or passions or desires which is there in every human being here, everyone, including Vikas, everyone, everyone. It's there in everyone. 1 John 2, 16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Don't misunderstand the word lust. Okay? It's a morally neutral word which means desire or longing, depending on the context or the object of your desire. It's a modern, It means just desire. In Galatians 5.17, scripture says, flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh. So lust in itself is not a bad word. It depends upon what are you lusting for. What are you desiring for? Okay, it's an old English word. Morning, modern meaning must have become very narrow, but that's not what scripture means, okay? So lust is a neutral word, and God has put three primary desires in everyone. The first is the lust of the flesh, which is what every person has a desire to feel some pleasure. They're in everybody. The lust of the eyes. Every person has a desire to experience something or possess something. First is pleasure. Second is possessions. And the third, in 1 John 216 the third, the pride of life. Every person sitting here and who will hear has a desire to be something or somebody. For prominence, for prestige, for power. Everybody has. They were all originally God-given. To feel, experience pleasure, to own possessions, and to have prestige. It is all God given. Marred by sin. God Himself in scripture promises pleasure forevermore. God Himself promises us possessions the way eyes have never seen nor ears heard. God Himself promises us a prestige And prominence by calling us kings and priests forever. So per se, there is nothing wrong in this. But the problem is, this is in the flesh, in the fallen man. Because in God, these are all promised only in an intimate union with Christ. It is through him and by him. In Psalm 16 and verse 11, Scripture says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. At your? What is there at his right hand? Jesus Christ. You find any pleasure outside Jesus. It is sin. It will take you down. He says, it's my right hand are pleasures for every more. He says, I, I am the one who caused desire and pleasure in you. But it's all in my right hand, in Christ, and Christ alone. Not outside Christ. I have set a boundary. The boundary is Christ himself. I am not somebody who denies pleasure. I am one who magnifies pleasure and puts a security blanket around it. That's Christ. The possessions are promised to those who overcome possessions. In Revelation 21 verse 7 says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. He says, in world people mess their lives and ultimately destroy their lives for what? Chasing things. But on the other hand, you deny yourself and chase Christ and remain in Christ and overcome as Christ, he says, ultimately you will inherit all things. It should be all yours. And then, The appointment, the prominence is in Revelation 5.10. He says, 5.10, he says, They shall be kings and priests for and have made us kings and priests to our God. Now nobody sitting here can aspire to be a king in this world. Impossible in India. You cannot. But God says, can you get more prominence than that? That's where the devil comes. With his world system. And urges people to fulfill this very God given desires. Apart from God. Outside God's will. And outside God's ways. He convinces Eve. He convinced Eve. One forbidden fruit. Among a garden full of good things. Would fill her God designed desires apart from God. If you look at Genesis 3-6, scripture says, she saw the tree was good for food. What does it mean? It would give pleasure to her palate. So it was pleasant to the eyes, meaning it's something good to be possessed for. No girl sitting here will buy something from a shopping mall unless it is good to your eyes. Does anybody, boys you can don't forget, they will pick anything and go just to run out of that place. But girls, no boy, no way. It has to be good to the eyes. Okay? This she wanted to possess. This is pleasure. This is pleasure. This is possession. Then treat desirable to be wise. Like God. Prestige. Prominence. It has never changed. He uses different methods. The pattern is still the same. The temptation is still the same. You either want pleasure outside of God, what God has said, no, you want that, he offers you that. Or you want to possess something which God says, no. Or you want a prominence which God said, no. It has worked ever since. He tried the same thing with Jesus. He told him, you can have pleasure outside of God's will. You are the son of God. You can make Stones into bread. He said, no. He said, do you want possessions? Take a look. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, you can possess this outside of your father. Jesus said, no. He said, no. Then he said, you want prestige, prominence? The best thing to do is that why go through all this struggle for ministry and one day you can have a ministry. What is that? I'll take you to the top of the temple. You jump down Angels will lift you up and suddenly you will have a ministry here. Prestige promise. That's exactly what new pastors and all do. They hire these ad vehicles, put their pictures all over the city. Suddenly they have jumped and they are being lifted up on all the roads. What a ministry suddenly. Kingdom ministry doesn't come that way. Understand, nothing has changed. Jesus said no. By obedience, I will possess the kingdom. All the kingdoms of this world will one day become the kingdom of Jesus Christ, but not your way. I will not exalt myself. I will rather humble myself. In Satan's world, in which we live, we pursue these things apart from God. And that's how the devil slowly steals our first love. Every aspect of society, the society which we live in, from the poorest to the richest, revolves around these three things. Lust of the flesh, which is pleasure. People are pleasure driven. Lust of the eyes, they are driven by possessions. Or pride of life, they want prominence. And this is our obsession. About pleasure, James says in James 4.3, You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. On your pleasure. You're pleasure driven. You pray. You pray more than others. I agree. But the problem with your prayer is your prayer is flesh driven. You pray because you want an answer which you can spend on your pleasures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 4, but know that in the last days perilous times will come. Why? For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient, unthankful, unholy, Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despise of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. All why? Because they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's the reason. Your love has gone. Your love for God which was there, which would have led you to more and more and more righteousness and more perfection. The love of God came because you become a lover of pleasure. And when that comes in, all the other things start following. God has no issue with pleasure. God has no issue with comfort. God has no issue with any of things. But he says, let it not be bondage. Let it not be bondage. About possessions, this is what Jesus says. In Luke 12 verse 15, he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's not life. In this world, people think the more you have, the more you are living. God says, no, you are not. I've never seen a dead man take anything. He can't even carry himself. He says, no, it doesn't. In Proverbs 27, verse 20, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. A man who is after pleasure and possession, he is actually got hell inside. What is that? Hell and destruction are never full. Every day new entry is coming, 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 new, new, new. It's never full, never satisfied. So is the man. Eyes of man that are never satisfied. These are the truths of scripture.
1: Our hearts are
0: divided. This is a trap that we get in. The trap of pleasure, the trap of possessions, and then the trap of prominence. John chapter 12, 42-43. John chapter 12. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogues. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Praise of God. Why are so many people sitting In so many churches unsaved. Because they love the praise of men. They know they have been sitting in church for 40 years, 50 years. They know deep inside when evangelists come to those churches and preach, they are not saved. But when he gives an altar call, they will not move. Because they think, what will these people think? I am not saved. And they die in their sins listening to the gospel. Because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. They are convicted by the Holy Spirit. You need to get baptized. They don't get baptized. What will people think? I'm the elder in the church. No. Praise of men, Prominence. Hearts are divided. Love for God and love for this false, decaying world. In James 4.4, 4, God says, adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't you know? enemy with God. Who are therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Hearts get divided. Let me give you examples, simple examples even which the small ones can understand. Peter, the danger of sitting at the end. Okay, Peter is today's example. Imagine Peter is married. Only imagine Peter is married. Okay, Imagine he's a bachelor but imagine he's married and he's got a daughter. You don't have one but you have a daughter. Imagine his daughter dies in an accident. He's an extremely rich man. Where does his riches come from? He has a distillery. He's got a distillery. Millions and millions of gallons or liters of alcohol goes in bottles from his distillery. And he's a multi-billionaire. He has only one daughter. And then one day he gets the news, his daughter died because a car hit her. When the police catch the driver, he's drunk. Not only is he drunk, he's got a bottle on his seat and his trunk is full of bottles. And when Peter goes, he sees every bottle came from his distillery. Now he's upset, he's angry, he's depressed, he's discouraged and he decided, I am going to start this NGO to stop people from drinking and drunk driving. Can he run his distillery at the same time? What people do in this world, they try to love God and serve the world. cannot. Simply cannot. If your loved ones don't make it to heaven, it's because the world took them. So the entire gospel is about getting people out of this world spiritually, not making them comfortable in this world. That's why the church has become of no effect because we have allowed the world to get in. We are making people comfortable all the way to hell. That's all we are doing. Understand where hearts get divided. Let me give you another illustration. Imagine I am an important person in a government, in a country that is persecuting Christians. What do I do? What do I do? Let's say I am a minister in a country where Christians are being persecuted. And I am a Christian. What do I do? A lot of people, quietly sit there and compromise. Not Esther. She stands up. She says, I will go to the king. My heart is not divided. If I die, I die with my people. But if I can save my people, I will stand up and see I save my people. Hearts are divided. A lot of people's hearts are divided. That's why scripture is put. If you allow the love of the world, the pleasure of the world. Esther knew the pleasure of the Babylonian court. She was the number one queen. She knew what pleasure was. She knew she had every comfort Babylon could offer. She knew what possessions what She had anything she could dream of. Actually, the king offered her even a half of my kingdom. She knew what prominence was, prestige was. But she was willing to let go of all of it because of the love of God and for the love of his people. That's exactly what Nehemiah said. That's exactly what Daniel's three friends said. and That's exactly what Daniel said. But that is exactly what the compromiser called Mr. Obadiah did not do during Elijah's time. And he's saying, no, 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 my lord, my master. Elijah said, who's your master? Who's your lord? Ahab or God? Oh, no, no, I have hidden 100 prophets, 50, 50 in a cave and I'm giving them bread. A lot of people try to do. What they do, they love the world, they love God and they try to do a mediocre ministry. Feeding here 50, feeding 50. That's over. He says, You go tell your master Elijah has come. Tell him to come and meet me at Mount Carmel. Can God use Sabadaya? No, he cannot use him. He cannot use him because he's a compromiser. Yet he's taking comfort. I am feeding. He says, You're not feeding anybody. I know who your Lord is. Your Lord is not Yahweh. Your Lord is Ahab hearts get divided. And the whole problem with today's evangelism is it's divided people who have compromised, who have allowed the world in and trying to preach a gospel. The thrust of the gospel is be saved from your sin, be saved from this world. And only those who received that message on the day of Pentecost got baptized. I told everywhere in Nepal, I said, you know what? They said, aaj ke karikram. I said, "A karikram nahi hai. ke dar mein hai, hai, nahi hai. There is a difference. There is karya, There is crumb. There is order. There is no career What has happened in the house, I said, when you go to your father's house, tonight when you go to your father's house, is there career There is no career there. There is karya Matter. There is order. But what we have done, we have made this into a service. We have made this into a program. So it is okay. I attended the program. Banks also have programs. Colleges have programs. Universities have programs. Offices have programs. Churches also have programs. But God says, I don't hold programs. I give life. I give life. Understand what's happening. We have compromised the gospel that the church is of no effect. The world laughs at the church and says, you stand, you have no voice. You have no voice. Because when the church is compromised, what the devil has done. He has put the world into the church. The church is of no effect. The people in the church is of no effect. They have no voice. The world doesn't see them as different anymore. This is what Elijah said on Mount Carmel in First Kings. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between these two opinions? Either Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered nothing. They said, No, we are not. We will not. Until fire fell down, Nobody was willing to make a decision. Until fire fell down. Nobody was willing to make a decision. I'll say no. You can say whatever you want. We see your life, all that. It makes no difference to us. We will make a choice once we know there is nothing more left in the world. Then we'll make a choice. And the fire came down and Baal couldn't do anything. That's when people made a choice. Joshua also said the same thing to the second generation. In Joshua 24. Therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. For as for me and my house we will serve the Lord. That's what a Hebrew means. A Hebrew means who has Cross the river who will never serve the world again. Just cross the river. The first Hebrew is Abraham who crossed the river. Turned his back to the gods of this world, to the pleasures of this world, the world, to possessions of this world, and the prominence of this world. And then everything he had God gave him. God gave him. Otherwise, we have missed the gospel. God has designed everything in a particular way. Everything. That's what Romans 8 20 and 21 says. Creation was subjected to futility. Has been subjected to? Sure, we are all creation. Everybody has been subjected to? Surely he says, apart from me, you will never be happy. You can try everything. You will never be happy. You will be miserable. But with me, it doesn't matter what happens to you. You will always have peace. You will always have joy, which the world cannot give. He says, I have subjected you to futility. You can have all the possessions you want. You can have all the pleasures you want. You can all have all the name and the pressure. At the end of the day you will be empty. Because that is the way I have designed it. I am the creator and the creation cannot live apart from the creator. Everything has its being in Christ Jesus and through him and moves in him. That's the way God decide. And The problem is we look for a life outside him and he says, it will not work. You will not work. Apart from Christ, you will never know what discontentment. You will never know what liberty is. If there was one man, he who pursued everything the world could offer and everything the flesh could desire, and he could afford it. You can I can desire a lot of things, but I don't have the money to buy it. There was one man who desired everything in the world. Everything the flesh could offer. And he got it. Because he had the money, the power, and the prestige. And his name was Solomon. Got it all. He went to the extreme. At the end, what does he tell us? Ecclesiastes eight. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express his. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Nothing here. I've seen everything. Every day, morning till night, I have seen wine, I have seen gardens, I have seen vineyards, I have seen women. 300 wives, 600 concubines. I have seen them all. The most beautiful in the world. I have seen them all. Nothing. Worth nothing. I have heard everybody and everything. Worth nothing. Ecclesiastes 6-7 All the labor of the man is for his mouth, yet the soul is not satisfied. Everything is for his pleasure, for his flesh. Mouth there means his flesh. But his soul is never satisfied. Ultimately, he will turn around and say in Ecclesiastes 12, 8, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. That's what? One line, you spend all your life. We knew it already. Man, you had your wisdom, you had your riches, you had your power, everything. Ultimately, you realize all is vanity apart from God. Why? Because God's ways are absolutely contrary to the ways of the world and flesh. The sad part of it, many, many, many who hear this message a hundred times also will still pursue that way until they have to reach the pig pen like the prodigal son. Then from there they will rise up and God in his mercy still receives them as sons and daughters. Let me tell you example or not examples, ways out. We just don't need the problem, we need solutions. The flesh's desire for pleasure must be denied by the fruits, fruit of self-control. One of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. And I always use the illustration of nut and bold. Begins with love, ends with if you don't have self-control, everything will fall off. The flesh's desire for pleasure or possession or prestige has to be denied by the fruit of the Spirit. Not human fleshly self-control, it won't work. All our sages read all our epics, you will re- realize none of their self-control. in the, Can you use the flesh to tame the flesh? No, you cannot. He goes for upavas and comes down one. Apsara comes and dances, self-control gone, everything gone. It won't work. You cannot have self-control with the flesh because the flesh itself has no control. That's why they, you have to learn from our epics. It's all very good. I mean, our epics are not bad. Only don't take it as life. Learn from them because these are sages, wise men who are trying to help a society. So learn. If you can't, Vyasa couldn't do, Almiki couldn't do, these people couldn't do, then why should I go? I'm not even trying that. I'm not trying that. But through the spirit you can. One of the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Now we have small many babies here, and many babies are on the way. Let me tell you. When we had our babies, when we put them in the crib, we tried tie this thing with little birds or something. Yeah. They entertain them. Little babies like the small ones here. The child's eyes attention is captured by these little floating birds. Have you noticed that little child, he or she, his will is a slave to his attention. He or she does not decide at what she will look at. He looks at the thing which is most attractive to him. He has no self-control. Self-control comes when the will takes over and decides what a person does. His actions are decided by his will. And not by appeal to these senses. You getting it? The child you move this, the child will look there. You move this, the child will look the will has no control. It's controlled entirely by his senses. And so many people have grown like that. Unless their senses are tickled. The will has no control. The senses are tickled, they cannot concentrate. That's why pastors are pouring in water, more and more water into the milk of the word. And doing all these tricks and this thing because they know this is a generation that has grown up who has no control over their will. They cannot listen. They cannot watch. They can watch only if their senses are tickled. They cannot read. They cannot read. If they have to be read, you can put 10 books over there. They already know and they will avoid everything that demands an act of their will to concentrate. They will pick fiction. And also romantic fiction. They cannot. Because you have grown where your senses control, not the will. That's the danger. That's where they struggle. They struggle to listen. Wander, mind wanders. The reason is that you never exercise control over your will. Over your will. The most important part, or one of the most important parts, of godly character is self-control. Self-control is the will conquering attention. It is the appetite being satisfied only when the will allows. That's what fasting means. Is all about. It is the will conquering the appetite rather than the appetite conquering the will. I'm talking about true scriptural fasting. Not the fasting which began yesterday. No. There's no conquering of the flesh in that fasting. By evening it's indulging. That is not the problem. Go ahead fast the whole day and indulge. But you watch me. In the next 30 days you will see the most... amount of violence against Christians and minorities. Why? This is supposed to be a time of fasting. When you are seeking the face of God, then why is your hand raised against every weak brother and sister? Because your fasting is false. It already started. Already started. Understand, fasting is not a recipe. Fasting also is where you have to allow the spirit to control your will. And you exercise self-control. People look at all this as a solution. I am having a problem so I am going to fast. God says so what? After that you will eat. That's not a solution. The solution is not your problem. The solution is your will. Your will is has to overcome what is affecting you. You are being affected by your senses. Because you are a captive of your senses. You are a captive of your senses. Your flesh is stronger. That's what Paul says. The spirit is willing, but the flesh. Can't. Unless self-control is developed, a person will decide to do in life whatever is most attractive and pleasant. That's how people choose careers. That's how I choose careers. What is uh, either pleasure, principle of pleasure, Principle of possession or principle of prestige. That's how they choose career. It's never the will of God. Everywhere. And problem is we are saved, but we miss the will of God. If my will and your will is not in control and our appetite is in control, then we could become a slave for something as deadly as sex or drugs or as simple as popcorn. And we look, this is, honestly, that's what happens to all of us. When we hear popcorn, we smile. We think it's funny, but let me tell you. A person who walks down the street smells popcorn. He cannot resist. His appetite decides, now is the time to eat it. In Judges 14 and verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman, Timnah of the daughters of Philistines. The next verse, the next one which I gave you. 16.1, Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. What's the difference between the guy who gave his will over to popcorn and the guy who gave his will to a prostitute? The principle is the same. There's no difference between the principle. The guy who gave his will over to his appetite for popcorn and the guy who gave her his will over to his appetite for a harlot, the principle is the same, he has no control over his flesh. So first we teach our children to control their appetite for coke and popcorn so that they can have control their appetite for harlots later. That's how it works. That's how it works, otherwise it will not work problem is at the central of my being and your being is your will that's why Jesus says if anyone wills to know my will you will understand what the kingdom doctrine is but the problem your will is weak your will is controlled by your senses your senses are not controlled by your will therefore when we go through this season of fasting we are trying to tell our will who is the boss when fasting is over, don't go back to the senses, continue to exercise the superiority of the will the fruit of self-control over your appetite let this be a pattern for the rest of your life otherwise we'll understand, we'll condemn Samson and indulge in popcorn God says the same thing, it's no difference it's no difference between you and him if you had been put in his position, you would have fallen the same way Why? Because you also have no self-control. I, in my mercy, in my grace, I covered you, protected you from falling as Samson did. Because Samson would have gone for popcorn if that was his appetite, and you would have gone for a harlot if that was your appetite. At the end of the story, it's the same. There's no self-control. No self-control. Like whether you rob a bank or you steal a chicken, in the eyes of the law, you are a thief. No, I only stole a chicken. The judge will say, go to the jail and sit there and repent. Somebody's chicken? Yes, somebody's chicken. That fellow robbed a bank? He robbed a chicken. In the eyes of the law, what are you? Pop. the eyes of the fellow who cannot handle popcorn and a hull, and what is it? No self-control. So, there has to be a solution. There has to be a solution. I'll give you the solution. Okay. I'll use, Johan is hiding somewhere. So Johan, because you're hiding you are the solution. Not the solution, you are the example today, okay? Let's imagine Johan loves soda, ice cream, and an occasional cigarette. He doesn't, but let's imagine. He plays football too, and he loves football. The coach in the next university goes, says, you know what, you got a real chance to make it to the national team. you got talent. Suddenly there is a goal. Now there is an inward satisfaction. Boy, I can make it to the national team. And then he comes home and he tells to sister Anne, I can make it to the team. And Anne says, you make it to the team, I will be the proudest, the most happy mom in the whole world. Then the coach tells him something. You want to reach your goal? And make your mom happy whom you love. Then you need to cut out soda, ice cream, and cigarette from your life. Now he has a greater goal and a greater love for something more than the pleasure that soda can give or coke can give or cigarette can give. Otherwise you will never overcome. That's why Jesus tells us, if you love me more than anybody and anything, you can overcome anything. And I'm setting your goal, if you overcome, you will be kings and priests, you inherit all. I'm setting you a goal, and I'm setting you a passion inside which is greater than the satisfaction the things of the world can give you. That famous statement Brutus makes in Julius Caesar when they find. He loves Julius Caesar. He is Julius Caesar's friend. But there is argument why Brutus has to join the plot to still kill Caesar. The final clinching argument of Brutus is this. Why he will kill Caesar. It is not that I loved Caesar less, but that I loved Rome more. It's not that I loved the world less. It's because I know my flesh loves the world. It's because I loved Christ more. Christ more. If you love Christ more and see the goal that he has set before you, you can overcome anything. But if you don't love Christ more than anything, Jesus said, you cannot be a disciple. That's what I said through all the mission preach. He said the great commission is all power authority is given unto me. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey everything that i have commanded you i said hum log ne kya kiya hum log ne chahalan mat nahi banaya hum log sab ko banaya we made everybody believers, which is very easy. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, you are saved, you are saved. But are you a disciple? No, you are not a disciple. And the commission was to make disciples. And to make a disciple, the first news you have to tell those who believe is, if you love your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, anything, even yourself, more than Jesus Christ, you cannot be a disciple. Period. That's it. You will never overcome. You will never get a crown. You will be all children in the father's house if you finish. Without falling away. But the commission is to make disciples. And teaching them to obey. And the condition for discipleship is. You love Jesus. More than anything and anybody. Otherwise something else pulls you. You go away. You go away. It's that simple. That's the goal. Once the inward satisfaction is greater than the outward. You are able to overcome. Which God gives. In John chapter 4, 31 to 34, it's an incredible, this thing about Jesus. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Lord? Food which you do not know? This is at the Samaritan town, at the well. Therefore, a disciple said to him, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. That's what gives me pleasure. The salvation of a Samaritan woman, one who had five husbands living with the sixth one to see her deliverance, her salvation brought him greater joy than satisfying hunger could. Unless we rejoice in the work of God and the things of God like this, we'll never be able to overcome. Never be able to. That night spending in that terrible place, And it didn't matter at all. In the morning they started coming. The first man, a poor man in a dirty dhoti. He came at 7 in the morning with his Bible. And the pastor says, he's recently saved. Every morning he comes with his Bible so that I can teach him. 7 in the morning he's there. So that the pastor would teach him the word of God. And by then later they started coming, 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 coming. All poor. All sitting there. You know, in that village. You look at them. Very easy to know who is a Christian, who is not a Christian. Very easy. Because every non-Christian has this, 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 this. Every Christian has nothing. They made the demarcation very clear. I am a Christian, so you can know me by my face. And to walk in an unbelieving town with full of temples like that. You need courage. You need courage. Today you see people, you don't know whether they are pagan or Christian. They all look the same. Why? Because we understood, having understood the power of the gospel, what discipleship is. We haven't understood. Every one of them, every one of them came and sat down. And they were hungry for the word. And I didn't dilute the word there also. Because you cannot. That was his inward joy. He says to do the will of the Father gives me incredible joy, pleasure than any food you have brought can give me. In Hebrews twelve two. The joy of the father's work and the goal that the father had set him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him. There's a joy set before him. There's an incredible joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the All the hardships of this life, he said, it doesn't matter, there is a goal. What is the goal? we'll say he was given the name above every other name. No, he had all those names. Bigger names than that before. Actually, his name became a little lower. Now is called son of man also. Earlier, he was never called son of man. It's not a good title in heaven. He was son of God. He was God himself. So what was the joy that was said before him? The joy that said before him. The father said, if you go through all this, deny the flesh, never sin and overcome and die on the cross and come, I'll give you a wife. Which you never had. It will be a holy, spotless, blemishless church who has overcome the world. That's your joy. And he said, done deal dad. I'm going, done deal. And we look at him and say, that's the reason you died for me? You know what? I'm taking the same route. That's why all the ancients sang the song, the world behind me. The cross before me. That's it. I got it. I got it. That's why you need to learn hymns from Pastor Vijay. Learn it. Learn it. Learn it. Because there is so much depth in the ancient hymns of men and women who understood the love of God and the love of God in their hearts from those sense-tickling songs of today. Oh, how I feel! I want to float in the clouds. Come on, yeah. You don't even walk with God two hours a day. Anyone afloat in the clouds? Look, how all sentimental gibberish it is. That has meaning only the other has. In a reality. Otherwise it's just words. So the flesh desire. For pleasure. For comfort. For comfort. Must be denied by the spirit's. Fruit of self control. You cannot be a lover of pleasure. And a lover of God. You cannot. The flesh's desire for possessions. Must be denied. By embracing a life of contentment and sacrifice. Otherwise you cannot. The flesh wants possessions. God says no. Embrace a life of contentment and sacrifice. In First Timothy chapter 6 verses 6 to 10. Now godliness with contentment is a great thing. Why? Why is it a great thing? Because we brought nothing in this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and say, why does people want to be rich? To buy more things. Most people want to be rich, want more money because they want to buy more things. It's got to do with pleasure. it got to do with possessions and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Perdition. Remember that. Perdition. For the love of money is the root not is the root, is a root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed away from the faith in greediness and pierced themselves through it much sorrow. We know it all yet there is an incredible pursuit of money. Why do people desire money? Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew 6:24. The word used over there is mammon. No one can two serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot. He's not saying you should not. He's not saying you will not. Should not, will not are uh, commands. This is, he says, you cannot. It's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot serve God and money. So we see Abraham refused to be tempted by the wealth of Sodom. The king of Sodom, Bera, offered him all the wealth of Sodom. After which Lot had gone. He's being offered in a platter. Abraham said, I will not even take a thong from your sandal because I have lifted my hand to the living God. Money has no hold over me. Sir, I don't need your money. Elisha had refused the wealth of Aram. While Gehazi could not refuse it. Could not. And that spiritual leprosy. It's a leprosy. If you love money and go after money, what happens to your soul? You get leprosy. Elisha said that leprosy which was there on Naman will continue on you and your dissonance forever. So, how does God say break the power of possessions? A longing for money and possessions. Pleasure we saw. Possessions. He says the answer is this give, give, and it shall be given unto you. He said the answer is giving, not spending. Don't mistake this too. Give, give. You are telling the flesh and you are telling the world. I will not be bound by mammon. Some people confuse giving with spending. No. I'm giving it all away. Yeah, yeah, take, 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 take. And next day they're shopping, buying more. You didn't give anything away. You accumulated just the same amount of stuff back. You didn't. Don't confuse giving with spending. Because people take only half the truth and half the truth doesn't lead you anywhere. God says give. Keep on giving. Keep on giving. And Once I know you have broken the power of mammon over your lives and of things and possessions, I know I can keep on giving you. Why? Because I love you and I know you will not be ensnared by this. Too. I know I can use you to keep blessing others. But if he gives me and I keep on spending on some time, it stops. And I say, Lord, what happened? He says, I can't trust you. I can't trust you. I didn't give you to spend on yourself. You know, scripture actually says, let any man who is without work, let him work so that he may earn some money to give. To give. Why do we work? Not to buy. Our provision comes from God. Why do we work? So that we can earn money, so that we can be givers in the kingdom of God get the kingdom principles very clear we do not work because we need money because my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills he can feed me without me working but he says son you need to work because i want you to help the others who cannot that's why we work in the kingdom in the world the principle is different can we be trusted can we be trusted the third thing is the pride of life Our obsession with prominence, with prestige. Oh, you touch somebody over there, even in ministry. You touch somebody over there. You call them pastor, no doctor. (laughs) Where did you get your doctorate from? Oh, it's honorary. Oh, I thought you actually worked and wrote something. No, no, it's an honorary doctorate. But I got it from there. So I am doctor, so and so and so and so and so. If that is in ministry, then can you imagine what is in the world? (laughs) We saw obsession with prominence in John chapter 12 and verse 43. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. We really love the praise of men, don't we? Don't we? If your boss says, oh Moses, you are the best. <laughs> it will be immediately next day on WhatsApp. Not what, in the next minute it will be on WhatsApp. I am the best. Boss said. Jesus wouldn't take compliments from good master. Who told you? Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Who told you I am good? Only my father is good. Character certification comes when you have finished the race and from the judge, not from you. I do not take praises from men. My ministry will not be built on praises of men. Honestly, Christians. If you work in the secular field, every certificate, every medal you get, put it in a box and keep it in the attic because it means nothing it means nothing. If you don't hear that final six words when you stand before Jesus, "Well done, my good and faithful servant, all your life was a waste." you just come through the fire. That's all. It means nothing. Don't build your lives on phrases of men, but rather praise of God. Praise of God. You don't have to struggle for that. You just have to die to the flesh and seek the will of God. Three days. That's why I tell every day. Three days. Three days into darkness. Three days into Damascus. Three days into his saved life. God says, Ananias, go to that city. Go to the street God's trade. Go to that house. There is a man Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he is praying. I saw his prayer. I heard his prayer. Go. I heard it. Today we send out pamphlets, sing prophets, so and so. Our own name we put. Apostle, prayer warrior. As God said. Galatians 1. 8 to 10. The reason is especially today. We are living in a world of celebrities. Celebrity cult. Everywhere. Idolizing Celebrities. Some silly girl who can sing. Those children went for their concert and they died. Why celebrity? You want to listen to that song? Buy a CD. Sit in your house and sing. Listen. Why did you have to go there and die in Manchester? Oh, oh! Celebrity has come. They will stand in the queue, pay five hundred dollars, six hundred rupees, thousand rupees to go see celebrity. American Idol, British Idol, Indian Idol. Finally, everybody will be idol. Celebrity. problem is it is coming to the church too. Problem is. All let the world be whatever they want. But today we have celebrity preachers. All are celebrities. You know what Paul says? The most celebrated preacher ever after Christ... But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. Do not be a born servant of Christ. Even in my ministry, I don't try to please get the appreciation of men. I get try to get the appreciation of God. We are not looking for prestige and prominence over here. Listen to Jesus himself in John chapter 5, 41-4. I do not receive honor from men. I don't receive honor from men. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. Look at all our celebrities, Hollywood, Bollywood, political leaders. and Does any one of them love God? Why do you want a certificate from them? Why do you want a certificate from them? They don't love God. I have come in my father's name, you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive me. Another comes in his own name and it prints out all pamphlets, put titles and puts all billboards, you will receive you. But if somebody comes just in the name of the Father, name oh, who are you? We don't know you. How can you believe when you receive honour from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from only God? You know what Jesus is saying? You now what he exactly is saying? He says, if you are a believer who seeks honor from man, you will never hear from God. You'll never be able to truly believe. Only the one who is consistently and constantly seeking honor from God, it's only to those people God can actually speak and reveal himself. Because he knows this man or this woman or this child is not there for the honor of man. It's the honor of God. Honor of God. Are you getting the picture? What this flesh does? What this world does? How the devil traps us? As we come Closing clock, reaching the conclusion. Let's go to one John two seventeen. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Do we see the world as passing away? Or are actually we see depends upon with which eye you look. If you look with spiritual eyes, you see the world is passing away. It's decaying. It's beautifying. It's getting worse and worse. But if you're looking with carnal eyes, you look, the world is getting stronger and more beautiful and more attractive. Which eyes do you see it with? The man of God who said, "Whoever marries the spirit of this world will find himself or herself a widow or a widower in the next age. Understood? If you marry, if you are a woman and you marry the spirit of this world, embrace this world, next age you will be a widow because your husband will be dead. That's what Paul talks about and Jesus talks about. Our first love for Christ. Our simple devotion to Christ means when it starts waning, the glitter of the world starts grabbing us. And it slowly starts being evident. First it is inwardly. Then it starts becoming evident outwardly. I have seen so many servants of God. When that starts happening, they start changing inwardly. Then they start changing outwardly. Then they starts affecting their ministry. They start putting restrictions on the ministry. No, I cannot come there. No, there is no airport. No, I cannot stay there. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. How many men of God have told me, if you want to call this one, this one, this one, this one for a meeting, the first thing they ask is, how big is the crowd? If it's below this, I won't come. Two, where will you put me up? Three, this is my offering, I expect. Three things. And I said, go to the gospel of John to chapter 4 and see where the Lord and the master of these servants went in the midday sun for one woman who had no name, no money, no reputation. Whose servant are you? Whose servant are you? Will you go for one? I'm talking. I'm not mentioning me. He says, that man said, this place I will come when it has its first five star hotel. Till then I will not come. And I need to be put up there. And my minimum offering is one lakh. Otherwise I am not coming for a one day meeting. Whose servants are these? Servants are these. Can we go? Will you go? Christ sends you. That's what Jesus asked the disciples. The Pharisees and all. Whom did you go to see in the wilderness? in talking about John the Baptist, somebody wearing silken clothes, that's how the Pharisees felt. He said, that's what He came wearing a leather belt and a coarse coat. But the gospel was powerful. The crowds were going into the wilderness to listen to him, here all the silken clad ones are wandering in the city, taking collections. Whom did he go, he said, to see? To see the contradiction of the gospel, of the Bible and the gospel we hear today. The contradiction of the believers in the apostolic age and the contradiction we see in our own lives—that's what Jesus is talking about. The world is passing away. The world is passing. Do we see? Let me ask you this question: Some of you are too young even to know Do you remember Charminar Bank? Do you remember when Charminar Bank crashed? Everybody lost their deposits. You should have seen the panic in the city. The crowds, the police, the lati charge, why you put in your money, in a bank that crashed. Now let me tell you, if tomorrow somebody starts a whatsapp message, goes on, Axis Bank is shutting down. What will everybody who has an account in Axis Bank do? Take your money out. Do you really believe the world is passing away? Then why are you investing in it? You don't believe. The problem is we do not believe the world is passing away. That's why all our investments are in the world and in the flesh. Do we believe? That's what Paul is talking about. The pleasure, possessions, prominence, prestige. Watch out for these three. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of the flesh. That's in us, God says, then the love of Father will slowly start going. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you are a new believer, or an old saint, it doesn't matter. Whether you are working with a village preacher or an apostle, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You have to guard your heart, I have to guard your heart, not for one day, all days. That's what Paul says in Second Timothy 4, 9 and 10. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having Loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Christians went to Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia on mission. Demas who worked with Paul for so many years went to Thessalonica because he loved the world. I don't know what happened to him. We don't know the secret. What is this? What pulled him? Was it pleasure? Was it Possession? Or did some false apostle in Thessalonica come and say, leave that old fool called Paul. You come here, we'll give you a bigger title. That's how people leave. That's how people leave. I personally don't believe he went for, I believe he went for a bigger title. And left the source through whom God was writing the epistles. He loved the world. And he went. We don't know what grabbed Demas. Was it pleasure? Was it things? Was it prominence? Each one has to look in self. I only know myself. That also I don't know myself really well. I'm still searching and asking God, show me. What will grab me in the years to come? Show me. So that I learn to deal with that first. Pleasure, position, prominence. God is not denying us any of this. All of this are but at his right hand. Where are they? At his right hand. Christ is seated at his right hand. And even the most lethargic, most empty, most dull, spiritually most dead church in the world. In Revelation 3.21. God even them he promises. If you overcome. I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down at my father's throne. Even to you. He can change track today. He's telling the church in Laodicea. Dishya. Is this the only way you can overcome? He says, you need to love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. John will say in 1 John 3 1, Behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us. That is the love of God and the love for God. Love of God and love for God. The love for the Father and the love for the Father. And Jesus came to show us. What does it mean if you see a man or a woman who is in love with God and has got the love of God consuming them when they walk, what do they look like? And Jesus said, they look like this. That's what they look like. Then at some point in his life, Paul became like Jesus. So he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. Consumed. Consumed. That's the only love that will overcome. Nothing else. And the devil and the flesh and the world is after our love for God. Watch out for anything that will steal your devotion and your love for God. That's why in 1 Corinthians 13, scripture says, Love never fails. Cannot fail. Cannot fail. Love cannot fail. That love of the Father, not my love, fleshly love, all that fails, the love of the Father that is shed abroad in our hearts if we keep on fanning it, allowing it to grow, allowing it to consume. It is easy to overcome. So any hurt, any pain, genuine pain, genuine hurt, anything can be overcome by the love for God. Ask me. Five days. Ask me. I loved the child like mine own. How do you think I got over it? Through this. I love you more than any child. I love you more than any child. sat inside and spent time with the word. Come through it. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm done. Otherwise, you go into depression. You go into discouragement. I say the most painful. Ministry is LHL. Either you lose children to death or you children to adoption, a living death. They disappear. But, you can continue even more stronger because there is something that will never fail. Never fail. Is the love of God. Love of God. That's why Jesus said, if any man loves his father, mother, wife, children, or even himself, will never overcome. Never overcome the three things mentioned in romans 12:11 they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb by the word of their testimony and the third thing they did not they love their lives even unto death they did not so they were the overcome they did not love if you love anything even your anything in your life a little more than god you're done you're finished it won't be tested now it will be tested at some point further down the line that is why we go through the season of fasting. We look into our lives. We ask God, show me, Lord, who I really am. Show me. Where are my weak points? Show me, Lord, so that I should not be caught by surprise. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we go through in detail from Genesis to Revelation. One day, Abraham realized the wife whom I loved for so long, I don't really love her more than myself. So he told his wife, I love my life. Because of you, I will die. So you do one thing. Say you are my sister. It is an eye opener for him. And he didn't really love his wife. Isaac, when he reached 138, realized, I love my son more than I love my God. I love him. He's just like me. He's flesh of my flesh. Everybody learn. We learn through all of them. How they were tested and they failed. If you don't have a goal in sight, the problem with the goal is that we have temporary goals like Sachin Tendulkar. After some time he has to retire. And after that what does he do? As long as he had this goal, he was consistent in his exercises, discipline, everything. So we have an earthly goal. But when the earthly goal is gone, people go down. That is why kingdom people should never have an earthly goal. Our goal is what? Heavenly. Until God tells you you have finished your race, you haven't finished your race. If your eyes are on an earthly goal, you will fail. Ask Noah. His goal was build an ark, save his family. Built an ark, saved his family. After that, planted a vineyard, got drunk, lay naked, and cursed his son. Why? Goal over to God off. Ask Abraham, what is your goal? Through your dissonance, all these nations will be blessed. Waited hundred years, got the child of promise, child is taken, tied on the altar, hears the voice of God, everything is done. This is the promised seed. He's married. Sarah is dead. Uh, now what to do? Feeling so bored. Okay, let me marry again. Whom did he marry? Keturah. How many sons did he have? Five or six. What did his sons become? Nations who will fight Israel one day. Took his eyes off. The eternal goal. Ran from King Saul for years. Philistine camp for 16 months finally overcame 7 years in Hebron then finally king of Israel finally fought Jerusalem got Jerusalem also my goal has been achieved ark has also been brought now I don't know what to do I don't even feel like going to fight went up his terrace looked down and went spiraling down (laughs) You see, your goal is earthly. The problem with an earthly goal, when we children of God set, once you achieve the goal, then you don't know what to do. Your flesh awakens. That's why we don't have any earthly goals. We have heavenly goals, spiritual goals. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on it. He has to say it is done. He has to show you. Okay, you're finished. You'll be dying in a couple of days. Do you see your crown? Yes, sir, I see my crown. Okay, you can relax now. Until you see your crown, don't relax. Don't. Don't relax. Amen? Shall we stand? Can I have the worship team? Abel, your leading of your worship was prophetic today. Everything you said, you had no clue what I was going to preach. we have heard this morning. We cannot do it on our own, in our own strength. The power of the flesh cannot bind the flesh. The power of the intellect cannot bind the flesh. Only the power of your spirit. You promised us in this year that you will fill us and there would be an overflow for all those who desire and thirst and hunger. I pray during the ministry of the word, there would be a hunger in the lives of your children. A hunger for God. A hunger for his kingdom. A hunger for his righteousness. That forgetting everything that is in the past, the failures, the pitfalls, the terrible things, whatever in each each one's life, forgetting it, but pressing on, as Paul said, for the upward call of Christ. For the very reason he caught hold of each one of us, oh Father. Oh Father, I pray that there would be an opening of eyes and ears and hearts. That they would really, really we would be able to see the reason for which you saved us. The upward call. The call has been ringing through the ages. That Christ is coming. For his bride. That's why your servant wrote. Oh Lord. Let anyone who does not love Christ Jesus. Be accursed. Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. Help us to love you. That way Lord. That way. Every hour. Every day. Every minute. Hearts consumed with love for you. Because no one has loved us. The way you have loved us. No one has sacrificed the way you have sacrificed for us. No one has prepared a table for us the way you have prepared for us. Nothing. There is no one. No one. Every good anyone has done for us, is like holding a candle before the sun, Lord. That's what you are. That's what you will be forever and ever. Open our eyes and fill our hearts. Let our hearts be filled with love for Christ and for the Father. Let your fire be shut in our bones. Help us. Help us, Lord. This nation cannot be reached by people with divided hearts. No nation has been Every nation in history has been won by men and women whose hearts were consumed with love for Christ. Many who bid bid goodbye to their own loved ones and never returned for Christ. I pray, Father, from here will go. Many hearts are consumed with love for Christ. Backs are turned to the enemy's world. Touch today, Lord. Touch. Touch. Let there be a cutting of hearts today. Not a rending of garments, but a rending of hearts. Let there be an acknowledgement, Lord. Like in those little places, simple people, simple, simple people. When the question asked, honestly, do you love the world? They said, yes, we do. You demand honesty first before deliverance can come. Your word says, love not the world or the things of the world. Help us. Heal us. Make us whole. Make us whole. The hearts are whole. Our minds are whole. Our eyes are whole. That we behold God as He truly is. The Son as He truly is. And that we seek you, your kingdom and your righteousness above everything else. Then truly the promise in Malachi will come true in our lives. The Son of Righteousness shall rise with will, healing under His wings. And we shall go forth as calves released from the stars. We need healing. We need restoration. We need deliverance. Touch your people today, Lord. Let there be joy in the house of God. The joy of the Lord. Not the happiness of this world, but the joy of the Lord. Let it consume each heart because of their relationship with you, with their longing for you, their love for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. As another month begins, we surrender this new month. It will be soon here into thy hands. It's a church we begin very soon, our 10th year. We want mercy, but we also want judgment. Judge us so that you can promote us. Judge us so that you can draw us closer. And help us, as David said, to love your judgments. Help the church to move to another level, Lord. Level closer to you. And a step lower in humility. And a step closer in love. And devotion. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Father. You may your hand rest upon everyone. Let infirm bodies be made strong the struggling, grieving hearts be healed and comforted. Wandering minds, the intellects be stable in the word of God. Above all, let the spirit hear from you, Lord. Clearer, clearer each day. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We now by faith believing in the blood of Jesus, the cleansing word and the spirit, we lift up holy hands. And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.